concerning the operations and programming of KBU in accordance with the requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBU Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at kbu.fm. Due to the temporary closure of in-station activity at KBU, meetings will be conducted online via public video conferencing unless otherwise noted. A public link and phone number to attend the meetings are available on our website. The engineering committee meets on the first Thursday of the month at 7 p.m. 
Please visit our website at kboo.fm to verify if a meeting is All right, it's Undercurrents. I'm Greg McVicker. Welcome. Got some good ones coming up this hour, so do leave the radio on, okay? Janice Joplin, Laser Lloyd, Robert Mirabal, and Ethel. And here's Haunted Summer, and this first note just says it all in terms of their sound. It's great. This is Empty Nostalgia.
come on foot. I go on foot. I run on water. I run on sky. I run until I fly. Amble on foot, become your stance. Ramble on foot, become your dance. Scramble on foot, become your trance. Gamble on foot, become your chance. I come on foot, I go on foot. I run on ice water, I run to the cold sky. I run until I fly. Run for life, run to the long world. When you run with strife, you run to the wrong world. Run for the knife, run to the strong world. For a man and wife, run to the song world. Run to the song world. Run to the song world. I come on foot. I go on foot. I run on icy water. I run into the dark sky. I run until I fly. Play on foot, become your course. Stay on foot, become your force. Pray on foot, become your source. Wobble man on foot, you become your horse. I come on foot, I go on foot. I run to the strong water. I run to the rolling sky. I run until I fly. Run for the brain. Run to the puddle world. Run with pain. Run to the coop world. Run for the same. I run to the true world. I run for the rain. I run to the blue world. I come on foot. I go on foot. I run on the clear water. I run to the clear sky. I run until I fly.
Now, that came out in 1966, and when we say the Beatles were ahead of their time, let's just look at what else was out in 1966, the top songs. Good songs, all of them, but like that in any stretch of the imagination, no. California Dreamin', 96 Tears, What Becomes of the Brokenhearted, Last Train to Clarksville, Reach Out, I'll Be There, These Boots Are Made for Walking, Cherish, Strangers in the Night, Frank Sinatra, Kicks, Paul Revere, and the Raiders, The Ballad of the Green Berets, and then Rain by the Beatles. Wow, what a completely different sound. Fastball out of Austin with Little White Lies, Robert Maribel and Ethel gave us Run for Rain. Ethel being a string ensemble out of New York. Munya did Boca Chica, and it was Haunted Summer with Empty Nostalgia. I'm Greg McVicker. It's Undercurrents. Let's now remember Janis Joplin. Come on, come on. 
just a sitting on the dock of the bay and watching the tide roll away. Oh, yeah, I'm just a sitting on the dock of the bay, yeah, wasting time. Redding classic, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. Laser Lloyd, Israeli artist, and that was recorded in Tel Aviv. Bruce Horns beyond undercurrents with sidelines and remembering Janis Joplin with Cry Baby from Pearl. Hey, it's Undercurrents. I'm Greg McVicker, back with Andrew Bird in just a minute.
It's Undercurrents coming to you with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the Friends of Undercurrents. Thank you, everyone, for your support. Andrew Bird now with a lot of whistling and cellos and just cool songwriting. Here he is from Inside Problems. Fixed Positions. When your position remains fixed, my dear Results can be mixed, I fear there's a stasis No new ideas, no new faces Misadventures in far-flung places Don't get me wrong, it's not dull But if you stay here long enough I feel we'll always be this way And if you're screwing up your face it won't it always stay that way Always be this way Will we always stay this way? You know there really isn't much preventing The way you see the world cementing There's a stony creeping Cradle to grave forever weeping Rounded on our sides, you're forever sleeping Promise to resist until you die Promise to resist until you die An object set in motion The arbiter of time The unexpressed emotion Capital crime So pick a random number Making sure it's prime Pick a random number between one and one hundred and nine. KB, oh, oh, Portland. Hello and welcome to Pathways, where you are invited to join me for a visit with leaders in personal development and cultural evolution. This is your host, Paul O'Brien. According to our guest today on Pathways, in this complex and chaotic time that we are going through, we need more than ever the particular skills and attributes that women possess and can bring to the table. In order to create an environment where the full potentials of women can be realized, Men need to learn how to help ignite the imminent and distinct sparks within them so these women can in turn warm the lives of those they touch. Our guest today is Simon T. Bailey, author of the new book, Ignite the Power of Women in Your Life, A Guide for Men. Simon has committed to a life of purpose that sparks individuals and organizations to lead countries, companies, and communities differently. This current mission caps an illustrious career as a Hall of Fame keynote speaker and renowned advisor to companies in diverse industries. He has three online courses featured on LinkedIn Learning that reach professionals in more than 100 countries. And recently, Simon became a certified Caritas coach, leading with the heart-centered intelligence. His approach is grounded in caring science, which preserves which focuses on preserving human dignity and wholeness as the highest gift to self, systems, and society. And it was Simon's Goldcast video about a conversation with his daughter 
that inspired this book and the movement, a post that has spurred 90 million views on Facebook. Well, hello, Simon, and welcome to The Pathway Show. Oh, so good to be with you. Thank you for having me. Now, this book is about, well, it's both about professional lives and the personal lives of men relative to women. Is this uh, a book just for men? And if not, what should women know about it? Yeah, it's totally for women as well. We've already heard from women who have read it and they've applied some of the lessons that they've learned uh, just about the power of communication and really building uh, rapport and relationships. And what was it about your professional experience that prepared you most to write this book? I think one of the areas where I failed when I was a sales director at Disney is the amazing women that I had on my team. I didn't listen to them because I had more ego edging greatness out than ego encouraging caring often. And what I recognized is I was in my own way. And HR uh, took me through a process called Start, Stop and Continue where they invited me to shape up or ship out. <laughs> so that was my journey. That sounds like a pretty clear invitation. <laughs> so they call it an ultimatum. Well, it sounds like it did you a lot of good. It did, it did. Because it really invited me, number one, to understand I didn't have to be the smartest guy in the room. Number two, how do I leverage the brilliance and the genius that's around me? And then number three, how do we all grow together by learning from each other? Now, the first chapter of your book is entitled The Age of the Woman. Okay, so yes. expound on that for us. Why is this the age of the woman? Well, first of all, 92% of the vacation plans are made by women. 85% of the consumer purchases are made by women. 65% of the car purchases are made by women. In fact, the National Hockey League's fastest growing demographic would be females. Wow. So any company, country that is going to be worth its salt has to look into the future and say, if we're reading the tea leaves, we need women leading or co-leading us into innovative breakthroughs and, and for, uh, forever relevance in where things are going. And why is it um, so important that men have to ignite the power of women. I mean, why? Uh, I mean, women are capable. Why? Why? Why don't they ignite it themselves? You know, I think about things like uh, the Equal Rights Amendment. You know, sure. which which didn't pass 35 states. Well, I know myself and a lot of men that were all for it. So there was some percentage of the male population for it. You'd think it would be the easiest thing in the world to pass that because all you know, the, all that had to happen would be three quarters of the women to back it, but that didn't happen. What, what's, what was the disconnect there? I think the disconnect is there's a, a segment of men that wanna hold on to power. They wanna hold on to the way it's always been. And when we invite women to lead or co-lead, we don't lose anything, we actually gain. Because number one, women problem solve differently. Number two, women are gonna make sure everybody benefits, just not your four and no more, right? Just not our four, like, I'm gonna take care of my guys. And then the third thing is women are going to find a way not just to take a risk, but to understand what's the best step forward as we look for breakthrough ideas. So when men begin to recognize that, 
we all become better together. You know, it seems like it's easy for men, particularly men like me, who are of a nonviolent nature, to uh, appreciate uh, how oppressed women have been uh, over the past thousands of years, uh, facing um, uh, violent behavior on, on the result of men. Um, I think it's ironic that a lot of men now are intimidated by women, let's say in the workplace, as you point out in your book. And, and why is that? Why are men intimidated by women now? And what can be done to bridge the gap of the inequalities that still exist? I think some men, because of the Me Too movement, some men have really kind of shut down in fear of if I say the wrong thing, if I, if I do something that will be taken out of context. So rather than say anything at all, I'm just gonna keep my mouth shut and I'm gonna cross the street <laughs> and not you know, be, be the guy that's held out as the example. I think the other thing is right now, men are being beat up so much for many of the problems that's happening in the world. Right now, there are more women enrolling in college than men. So when you look at that, that means at some point in the future, women will be elbowing men out of white collar jobs. And some men are just plain scared. So I think the reason sometimes they shut down because men don't know what to do. And what I'm saying, guess what? If there's a woman in your life, a sister, a cousin, a niece, uh, your wife, a girlfriend, give her the respect that she is due for who you become in the process because women can help us become better. You know, what do you, what should men do right now to be advocates for women? Because, and why is it, and why is it, now this is a, probably a dumb question, but why is it advantageous for males to do so? I mean, some men argue that they need more money than women because women expect men to pick up the tab. And if a woman expects the man to pick up the tab, isn't that a lack of self-respect on her part? I mean, how, you can understand why men are a bit confused. Yeah, so right now there's a conversation happening, happening in households and the conversation is who's gonna have the lead career? And right. what you will discover according to the research is that there are more women that are taking the lead career and the dad is becoming the stay home dad, right? That doesn't mean he loses his value or his self-worth. The tables have turned. So the first thing men can do is, is to honor the woman that they are connected to by saying, how can I help you be the best version of yourself? And then she in return, ask him, how can I help you be the best version of yourself? Start there with a the conversation. Number two, realize women don't wanna be controlled. They wanna be understood. So how do you come alongside and really communicate and say, here's how I can add value uh, to your life. Here, here's how I can make things better. And then number three, what are the blind spots? So men asking the women in their life, what are the blind spots? Is it communication? Is it um, lack of emotional intelligence? What's the blind spot in my life that I don't see that perhaps you can help me become better? And oh, by the way, can you help me to communicate with you in the way that you need to hear it so we truly have a connection, not just communication that's going in a million different directions? Yeah, you talk about <clears throat> emotional intelligence and it brings up uh, a topic that's big in your book, vulnerability. And I, I'm just wondering, I mean, can men 
who are not emotionally intelligent, can anybody who's not emotionally intelligent really learn how to become emotionally intelligent? Because I think it's probably related to, to the way they were brought up, to trauma, childhood abuse, whatever. I mean, there's so many ways that people get shut down emotionally. And I don't know that, you know, I, I'm not trying to be negative, but I don't know if you can really expect people to, to wake up on, in that dimension, you know? And, and, and this leads to a question, which is why are men afraid to be vulnerable with women? Sure, sure. So let, let me answer the first question. Uh, you see vulnerability every Sunday when you watch a football game because the coach or the player will say, you know what? It was my fault. I take ownership of us not winning today uh, or it was the team that helped us win. That's a self-aware person who's not making it about them. So I think sometimes the reason men are, are, are less vulnerable with women is A, is she gonna judge me? Uh, B, am I less of a man? Do I lose my man card? Right. Uh, C, she's not gonna take me seriously. <clears throat> she's not gonna take me seriously. I'm gonna be seen as a, as, a, as a wuss, as a wimp, as a guy who doesn't have a backbone, right? When in fact, women want men to stand up and to put their truth on the table. So when I learn how to be vulnerable by going to therapy, no guy wants to go and see a therapist and I'm processing my childhood trauma, my issues, my dad never told me that he loved me. My mom and I had an arm's length relationship. I tried to commit suicide at 15. When I started to address where I was broken, all of a sudden I discovered that it's okay to have a limp, figuratively, not literally. It's okay to say, I am flawed, I am perfectly imperfect, and that doesn't make me less of a man. And then I'm modeling something for my children to say, life is not perfect. It's okay if everything's not okay. Don't put the mask on as if you're fine, because the more you suppress, the more men suppress, at some point we explode. And if there's a man listening to us right now, go and seek professional help. I swear by therapy. I would have never said this 10 years ago, but <laughs> therapy helped me look through the windshield of where I was going instead of the rear view mirror of where I had been. Right, yeah. No, you make the strong statement that every man needs a therapist. And I, you know, I, can't, I think every person needs a therapist these days, or, or at least a coach. You know, we just need somebody that's not gonna be a yes man, who's going to give us some clear reflections about what's going on in our inner life because it's confusing. And, you know, it, it, we grew up in a culture where we are taught that, um, that we're gonna be judged. And we're gonna, when we, when we experience it, we're judged by our parents, we're judged by our peers, and we're being judged by God. You know, I, I like the joke that God's having an identity crisis. He can't decide whether he's the uh, God, the judge, or the God of love. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, I'm joking, of course, but the God, the judge is so much more real, especially to the child that's trying to be perfect to earn the love of its parents. So we grow up in a very, in a society that sort of glorifies judgment. Um, and uh, I, I think it damages people. Yes. Well, now you talked a little bit about how your father never told you uh, that he loved you. 
and that and you say in the book it really matters for men to pay attention to that relationship but let's say he's dead or let's say he's not you know he's long gone what can you do well the first thing i would say is after you go and see a licensed therapist if you need it uh the second thing is write a letter write a letter to that father who may have transitioned and is gone what would you have liked for him to have said to you what would you like to say to him right. get it all out then after you write it out go outside take a match and burn it up let it go release it don't carry that within you writing is therapeutic so that would be the first thing i think the other thing is to to find a friend who can really have a conversation with you uh, and, and put a mirror in front of you to reflect back everything that you've said. You don't need the friend to fix anything, but you just need to process it out and talk it out. And what you'll discover when you talk it out, you may come to a conclusion or a breakthrough for yourself just because you didn't hold on to it. Now, in your life, how did you bounce back from divorce and debt and self-doubt? So a friend of mine, the day when I signed my divorce papers, I ran into a, a friend of mine, Bob, at a restaurant. And I said, Bob, I just got divorced today. I mean, woe is me, cry me a river. And he said, whatever you do, pay your alimony with joy. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, I was married for 39 years and I went through a divorce. And he said, not only did I pay my alimony with joy, he said, it was the turnaround for how I showed up in the world because I didn't have bitterness. He said, you can be better or you can be bitter. So I think that little sage piece of wisdom was serendipitous. And I said, okay, I started paying my child support and alimony with joy, not an attitude. Uh, whenever I had my kids on the weekend, I didn't throw their mother under the bus. Uh, you know, I just said, hey, your mother's done a great job. When I, whenever I was in her presence, I was respectful. I didn't look at her with the side eye, like, how dare you? Oh my goodness, no. I just said, let me rise above it. And what I realized is something happens in life, but you have a choice as to if it's gonna own you or you're gonna own it. So now I didn't get it perfect all the time. And yes, there were days where I was like, what the heck, right? But it was in those moments I would scream privately. And when I showed up publicly, I would have the smile on my face to say, we're going to get through this and it's going to be okay. Now, you mentioned that you met your current wife, Jody, through online dating. Yes. And would you, so would you recommend online dating to single men? Yes. In the world that we live in now, uh, it's probably easier to meet someone that you may be compatible with. Um, online, but newsflash, before you go online, make sure you are whole, W-H-O-L-E, within your soul, because the half a man and a half a woman doesn't make a whole relationship. So, so make sure you're in a good place before you show up online. And was it hard for you to, to uh, start dating? I mean, were you afraid to love again after divorce? Absolutely, and I was that half a man that I was just talking about. And as my therapist told me, I was looking for love in all the wrong faces and all the wrong places. And I was scared if I was gonna find the right person. And I met Jody, and we started dating and then I ghosted her, I ran away because I hadn't finished my work. And when I kind of came back around to it, uh, a friend of mine said, if you find a woman that has 80% of what you need, you can figure out the 20%. And when I, when I heard, I said, you know what, you're right. 
And so we did, and we got married. <laughs> you know, I love what Dan Savage says about that. He said, instead of looking for the one, you know, your perfect soulmate, you know, a lot of people think, well, if a relationship goes wrong, it's because I, I was with the wrong person, you know, and I just have to find the right person. I have to find the one. He says, find somebody who's a 0 .70 and round up. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's good. That's kind of what you were just saying. Yes, yes. 80%. Okay, let's talk about emotional honesty, you know. Well, men, you know, if they're not emotionally intelligent, they might have trouble with this. But, you know, what does that look like in a man? And how can women tell if it's authentic? So an emotional, honest man says, I don't know what I don't know. Here's the reality. She already knows that you don't know, but she's waiting for you to show up to just put the truth on the table so that she can come alongside and help you. That, that's the first thing, right? I think the other thing, women can sense very quickly. Women have intuition. They have a sixth sense. They know. They can smell it a mile away if you are trying to impress them or if you're really showing up to say, here are my areas of opportunity and my areas of growth. I'm not coming to dump on you or to be a victim, but I'm saying there are some things that I'm working on and I just want to be honest with you if you choose to join me on this journey. And women appreciate that more, that they don't want to fix us. They want to connect with us and understand how together. So, so think about it this way. In emotional honesty, you come through door one, she comes through door two, and the goal is to find door three together with honesty, with no filter. Right, right. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful uh, definition. And you talk about how you changed so much. You know, you used to be what I call, and it's, this applies to me also, a human doing. And uh, you learned to embrace a new way of being instead of feeling like you needed to do more, you needed to be more, you needed to be more yourself. And you say you did that through centering. Can you share with us what, how centering works and what maybe process you use? Centering is great micro practice where you just simply take a deep breath. You do it three times, inhale, exhale. And when you inhale and exhale, you are uh, exhaling what is ever, what's ever holding you back and you're inhaling new possibilities. So this place to create internal alignment that creates external execution. So when I'm centered, my head is aligning with my heart. My heart is aligning with my hands so that my feet follow. So it's about living from the inside out on this pathway to the new you because you're centered. And, and when you're centered, here's the other powerful thing, you let go so that you can let it come. So, so whatever is supposed to emerge from, for you, when I'm centered, I'm not so worried about the outcomes. I am slowing down to the speed of life to say, how do I be the best person in this moment? So as life comes, I'm on the frequency of new opportunity, new possibility, and I'm not trying to control it. I let go of worrying how it's going to unfold. Now, you have some interesting advice that you give about uh, relating to your mate. Once you've dated and you've found somebody 
you know, you, um, you know, you say emotional honesty means giving the woman you love your cell phone passcode and inviting her to review all of your social media communications. Well, you know, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty extreme I, I, for most people. And then you say, I've had a few close platonic female friendships. And with Jody in the picture, that became a problem. She wanted to be the only woman I ever needed to talk to. And I got it. I wanted to be the only man she needed to talk to as well. This meant that we both had to cut our ties with friends or past relationships with the opposite sex. Wow, that seems a little extreme too. So how did you come to these conclusions? Is this, are you a religious person? Is this a biblical thing or what? what how do you explain it? You know what it is? It just comes down to trust. So I have an update uh, for you. Part of yeah. why we decided to do that is because we realized we needed time to get to know each other separate from the uh, opposite sex relationships that we had before, even if we didn't date those individuals. We just needed time to get to know our little idiosyncrasies, what works, what doesn't work. So I have had friends, and you see it there in the book, that have been my friends that are like sisters for 30 years. Right. And when I asked her, I said, would you like to meet them? And she said, I would, after she and I were in a good place in our relationship. So when she met them, she got to know them on a personal level and she asked for their cell phone number and she talks to them more than I do. But what I recognize that happened in time once she trusted that I was showing up fully aligned, fully connected, that she's the most important woman in my life. And if I talk to them, if they reach out or call me, I tell her, hey, I just got a call from so-and-so just wanted you to know. And it's just that respect and that honor that I am cherishing her, not doing anything behind her back that she doesn't know about. Okay, so you're, you're establishing a secure attachment with your mate. And, uh, and maybe that's what it takes, you know, in, in, in a world where dating sites, you know, the, there's the illusion that there's a thousand replacements standing ready <laughs> which is an illusion but any anyway it kind of seems that way so that that that's beautiful um so you know we've only got like a minute and what what, what kind of advice would you give the readers uh of your book what what should they take away uh or what would you like to share today number one there's a difference between love and cherishing an individual I can say I love you all day, but when I cherish you, I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to go to the nth degree, go to the mat. The second thing is tell your significant other what you appreciate about them. Take every letter within the alphabet, 26 letters, and find 26 ways to let them know that you value them right now. And then the third thing, igniting the power of women, it's counterintuitive. Actually, men are ignited when we understand how to make women know that they are valuable now more than ever before. So make sure she is seen, appreciated, and valued because what you put out, you will receive back. That's great. Hey, well, thank you, Simon. Thank you for being on the show. There's so much more that we could explore, but we've run out of time. And I wanna make sure to tell our listeners about your website, which is simontbailey.com. Just all one word, Simon T. Bailey, B 
E-A-I-L-E-Y. And for those who may have tuned in to Pathways Late today, this is your host, Paul O'Brien, author of Intuitive Intelligence, a book that shares the theme of Pathways, which is personal and cultural evolution. And don't worry, you can play 